We're in Psalm 23 again this morning. We're spending three weeks in that psalm. Just looking at one verse, verse 4, but in just a moment I'll have you together with me do a responsive reading of the entire psalm. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you'd reveal yourself by your Holy Spirit, that we would honor you with lives that trust you in the hardest of circumstances and with peace in the face of the uncertainties of life, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and we'll read together or we'll announce together the 23rd Psalm. I, I am the L and you are the R in this thing. This is a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You may be seated. This is God's word to us this morning. There's a book written about 20 years ago called The Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. Expert Advice for Extreme Situations. It's written by Joshua Piven and David Borgenicht. I think that's his name. And here's what Amazon says about this book. The 20th anniversary edition of the international bestseller, perfectly timed for everyone needing extra help to be adequately prepared for dire situations in today's world. Danger, it lurks at every corner. Quicksand, sharks, cyber bullies, super flu. From wrestling an alligator to evading drones to landing an airplane if the pilot passes out, the Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook is here to help with expert, illustrated, step-by-step -step instructions for the best ways to tackle life's sudden, sudden turns for the worst. Needed now more than ever, this revised and expanded edition of the international bestseller delivers frightening and funny real advice readers need to know fast including crucial information added from across the worst case series and 20 all new scenarios for 21st century threats from extreme weather and fake news to dropping a cell phone in the bathroom toilet. <laughs> now you could buy that book and that book would be one way to prepare for life's worst case scenarios. But let me propose a better way this morning, a way that's a lot more substantial to face what could go wrong in our lives by looking at David's perspective recorded in verse 4 of Psalm 23. And we're just going to look at one verse this morning. It's verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We're going to look at the reality of life's darkness. We're going to look at David's confidence. And then we're going to look at the shepherd's presence very briefly this morning. First, let's look at life's darkness. Now, Aaron last week did a great job of laying out the positive stuff, the good stuff, the still waters, the green pastures, restored souls, 
the shepherd leading us in paths of righteousness. And that's all tr absolutely true, and praise God that it is true. The, the life we have in Christ is an abundant life. It's a life filled with peace and joy and provision. Those things are all true. But David's a realist, too. And now, in verse 4, he continues on with this thought of the Lord leading in paths of righteousness, or right paths, as Aaron said. We're not sure which it is, but it's both, in a sense. But sometimes those right paths lead us down into a situation that's not quite as pleasant. And so he begins verse 4 by saying, even though, so he says, the Lord leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though, and that's an intensive, it's an intensifier in the Hebrew. It's making a, a point of what he's going to say next. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The reality for us as Christians is that bad things are going to happen to us. Just because you come to Jesus doesn't mean you get instant protection from all the disappointments and problems and challenges of life. And we need to be realists, positive, joyful, but realists about what life holds this side of eternity. Bad things are going to happen. This phrase, the valley of the shadow of death, appears at least 15 times in the Old Testament. And to get some idea of the sense of it, just realizing that over half of the times it appears in the Old Testament, it shows up in the book of Job, you get the idea of the kind of difficulties that David has in mind when he talks about this valley of the shadow of death. What's in this valley? Well, it's in this valley are all the consequences of a sin-riddled world. Everything that sin broke, all the, the fruit, all the, the results of people and turning their backs on God are in this valley. They can be external dangers, what other people might do to you, and people do some terrible things to other people. You've been on the, the receiving end of some of that. And sadly, if you're honest, many of us have been on the giving end of some of those bad things that have been done to other people. So that's one of the things. It's what others might do. It's, it's the natural disasters that it's a result of a fallen world. Even though no person is doing it specifically, there are, are natural calamities that take place. Those things can happen. Those are difficulties as well. Economic reversals, all kinds of things. And if we let our imagination go, we, the list would never end. But there's also in this valley, there's the, the results of our personal failures. There's things that we experience. We have to go through some things in our lives because of the choices that we've made when we've turned our backs on the Lord. Now, he forgives us, but sometimes we still have to live with some of those consequences. And those things are in that valley as well. But the ultimate thing in the valley of the shadow of death is death itself. Look around you, everybody in this room, we share at least one thing in common, and that is we live in bodies that will not live forever. All of our bodies are mortal. They will die. Thankfully, if our faith is in Christ, our souls will live forever, and we rejoice in that. But one of the realities of life is we are all going to die. Today, this week, this month, this year, or who knows? We, some of you may have a lot longer than others. Some of us are getting pretty close here. We don't know what it is. But there is that end of life, that reality. And the C word is there, sickness and illness, those things that threaten to bring us to that point where we will die. But the reality is we will all die at some point. 
So there is a lot of darkness in this valley of the shadow of death. And I want you to notice that David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, it would be nice if we could say, even though I might, or even if I might walk through, yeah, that could happen. But the reality is we are all going to walk through that at one point or another. Sometimes those paths of righteousness that the Lord leads us down will lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. Perhaps not initially physical death for eternity of our bodies, but we will go through times that are difficult. On July 12, 2008, Tony Snow, who was the former press secretary to President George W. Bush, died at Georgetown University Hospital as a result of colon cancer that had spread to his liver. He was 53 years old. Three years earlier, in February of 2005, at 51, he had received an initial cancer diagnosis, and he underwent surgery and returned to his job as a broadcaster. And then two years later, after almost a year as press secretary, the cancer reappeared, and Snow took a leave of absence to seek treatment for recurrent cancer. And at that time, in 2007, he gave an interview to Christianity Today, and this is part of what he said in that interview. <laughs> he said, the moment you enter the valley of the shadow of death, things change. You discover that Christianity is not something doughy, passive, pious, and soft. Faith may be the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, but it also draws you into a world shorn of fearful caution. That is, all of the fearful tentativeness is gone when you enter the valley of the shadow of death. The life of belief teems with thrills, boldness, danger, shocks, reversals, triumphs, and epiphanies. This was his attitude as a believer as he walked through the valley of the shadow of death. There is something to experience there that you can only really lay hold of once you face the reality that sometimes in life, things are not going to go the way you'd like them to go. Some of you might be thinking, I'd just like them to go the way I want them to go once in a while. It seems like they're always not going the way I want them to go. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. But Barnes, in talking about this verse, brings out this point of, of this adventure and that there's a certainty that even in it, there's all kinds of things to learn and discover. He says, God will lead and guide me in the path of righteousness, even though that path lies through the darkest and most gloomy valley, through deep and dismal shadows, in regions where there is no light, as if death had cast its dark and menacing shadow there. It is still the right path. It is a path of safety, and it will conduct me to bright regions beyond. And Nathan Smith says, don't miss the message that David has for us. It can radically change your life and your service to the Lord. We are going through the deep, dark valleys because the Good Shepherd is leading us. The dark valley is part of the path of righteousness. Why would the Good Shepherd lead us through a place of danger and death? To get us to a better place. Now, ultimately... That applies to physical death. We have to get rid of this body so that we can be transformed when we see him and be like him as he is and the power of sin will be broken in our lives and we'll get the ultimate body that we have all longed for where sin is no longer an issue in any way, shape, or form. 
But in order to do that, we have to go through physical death. But the same principle applies in a lot of other areas of our lives on a day-to-day basis. The only way we will get to that level of faith and confidence and trust in the Lord and knowing who He is, the only way we can get there is to go through situations that scare us to death, that frighten us, that bring us to the limits of what we can handle. And whether you're 14 or 40 or 84, the principle operates the same. The the circumstances look different, but the same thing's going on for you. If you're a new believer or an experienced believer, God is taking you through the valley from time to time because that's the path of righteousness that you have to walk to get to the image of Christ in you that he's, he's working out in you. And if we're going to confidently live, if we're going to live confidently and vibrantly as believers, we have to consider the worst case scenario, the worst situation we could possibly face in our life and reaffirm that even in that situation, our confidence is that God knows what he's doing and he, he has seen fit to take us through that and through that dark valley to, in order to get us to the destination. It's not that we dwell on the what-ifs and we become terrified because we're always thinking about what bad could happen to us. But the best way to face any eventuality in life, any possible circumstance, is to take the time to consciously sit down and say, if God gives me the worst thing I can imagine, will I still trust Him? Will I still walk with Him? Will I still find comfort in Him? And then if you can do that, you can face the little problems. I mean, if you got a car and you're just afraid that you're going to blow a head gasket and you got to drive over the mountains, and so you're, okay, I can still do that. If that happens, i got my plan. I can get through it. If you have a flat tire on the way, you can handle the flat tire no problem because it's such a minor thing in the face of the big thing. And we need to face the ultimate thing, which is the end of our lives, so that we can face whatever happens that's minor, that's less than that. I, I had to chuckle this week as I thought again several times about Luke chapter 12 where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, don't fear the one who can kill the body and after that can't do anything to you. I thought, okay, basically Jesus is saying, don't be afraid of what could happen to you. If death is all that can happen to you, you just die. After that, nothing bad can happen to you. So don't be afraid of dying. Look at the things that are important. Look at the ultimate. Face the, the ultimate disaster, which is the end of our earthly life, and say, can I trust God? That was David's mindset. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And this was his overarching mindset. In the deepest part of his being, he said, I have nothing to be afraid of. Now, we have to be realistic here. David was not saying he's never afraid. Look at Psalm 56, verses 2 through 4. While he had that overarching mindset that I will fear no evil, look at what he says in Psalm 56, verses 2 through 4. I think it's up there. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. And then he says in verse 3, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Well, what is it? 
start of verse 3, he says, when I am afraid. In verse 4, he says, I shall not be afraid. And I think David is just recognizing that while in the core of his being, he had made that decision, he was a man after God's own heart, he was God's instrument, he knew he didn't need to be afraid of anything, and yet in the day-to-day life, in the circumstances of life, there were times when he felt that fear. But it was something that he had to de- he dealt with because at the core of his being, he said, there's nothing to be afraid of. And I think sometimes, too often perhaps, we listen to ourselves when we should be talking to ourselves. Sometimes we let how we feel work on our minds to the point that we begin to think things that really deep down we know are not true. They're not the reality. They're not what really matters. I like what the psalmist says in in Psalm 131 verse 2. He says, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. The psalmist is saying, sometimes I just have to talk to myself and calm myself down. And sometimes in the valley of the shadow of death, we just have to talk to ourselves and calm ourselves down and say, okay, what's really going on here? We've already faced this. We've already dealt with the worst case scenario. We know the Lord will get us through. So how is this something that I need to be all worried about? And we need to calm and quiet our soul. David said, I will fear no evil. That was the state of his heart. And now he gives us the reason. For you are with me. Why was he not afraid in the valley of the shadow of death? Because the Lord was with him. Now Aaron reminded us last week that this psalm is not a psalm about the sheep. It's a psalm about the shepherd. And it starts and ends with that phrase, the Lord. The Lord is with me. That's why in the valley of the shadow of death we fear no evil. David doesn't say in the valley of shadow of death... I'm not afraid because I'm a good soldier. I know how to fight. I can handle the difficult situations. I've got a good attitude. I've got a good head on my shoulders. And I'll just will myself through this. That wasn't the source of his confidence. And he wasn't minimizing the situation. He didn't say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because it's really not that bad. It's really not that big a deal. No, He's not fearing any evil because of the one who is with him. The reason David gives for his lack of fear is because the Lord is his shepherd. The Lord, Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth, who spoke the world into existence. I looked a little bit this week, and I cut it out of the sermon because I didn't have enough time. But if you do the math on how many stars there are, you come up to, I think it's 200 sextillion, which is a billion trillion or something like that. And Isaiah says the Lord calls them all out by name and not one of them is missing. I mean, this is the vastness and the magnitude of the Lord who is his shepherd, the creator of the whole universe. And then if you boil it down to the cell, there's I don't know how many trillion cells in your body. And I'm just amazing the detail in creation. And yet the one who created all that is the one who's walking with David through the valley of the shadow of death. What's he got to be afraid of? What is there to fear in the light of that? And I can't help thinking that David, I'm not sure when he wrote the psalm, and somebody else who's done more study might have that answer, but you know, David was a shepherd when he was a youngster. He was a teenager. And he did some pretty amazing things as a, as a shepherd. Remember when in 1 Samuel 17, when 
David goes before Saul, and Saul says, are you sure you can handle this guy, Goliath? What does David say? He said, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him down and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. I never realized before that David had killed at least two bear, two bears and two lions. I don't know how many more he killed, but think about that for a minute. This is a teenager. He's got it together. He's, he knows how to be a good shepherd. And I can just imagine he didn't have a smartphone, so he had lots of time when he was out there with the sheep. I wonder how many psalms would not have been written if he'd had a smartphone because he wouldn't have had time. But he spent, he's sitting out there. He's got day, days on end. He's sitting there watching those sheep. And at, in the course of time, this thought must have kept coming back to him. You know, I protect these sheep, and they're pretty peaceful here. And I've already killed two bear, at least, and I've already killed two lions. So the sheep are pretty content. They know that whatever happens, David's got it covered. So, you know, that's... That's kind of the way it is with me and God. Israel's kind of like these sheep, and God is the shepherd, and he knows how to handle it. He knows how to take care of these things. So my sheep are content because they know I'll protect them. Why wouldn't I be content? Because I know God will take care of me. God's more than able to do all of that. And so his lack of fear and his comfort comes from the fact that God is with him. Now remember who led him into the valley of the shadow of death. The Lord is with me. He was absolutely sure that even though he was in that difficult, difficult situation, the Lord had led him there. And I want to ensure you this mor- assure you this morning and remind myself this morning, God has you exactly where he wants you. Your life situation right now is exactly what you need for you to learn that your shepherd is taking care of you. That's something you need to lay hold of. And kids, I know it's tough. I mean, it's tough when you're older too, but when you're learning to be an adult and what that means and trying to learn how to be independent and yet honor your parents even as believers, sometimes it's not very clear. But, but rest assured, God knows what you need and he's got you right where he wants you and he'll teach you. But he's there with you. Never lose sight of that. And whether you're a teenager or a, an adult, know that in every situation, our first, should, our first response should be to look to him because he's there. Ask him to show you what it means. Show me about myself, who I am, what I need to learn, how to trust you. Show me about yourself. Show me who you are because I want to honor you with a life of faith and confidence. It's interesting to note that in this verse 4, the, the pronouns change from third person to second person. They change from he. The first three verses are the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. He does this. He does that. But when you get to the valley of the shadow of death, it becomes second person. You are with me. I will fear no evil because you are with me. And it's, it's just like a, sh- a valley to bring you to the place where your doctrine is no longer third-person doctrine, but second-person doctrine. And I want to ask you as a believer, is your, is your faith in Christ, is your confidence in the Lord 
a third-person confidence where you, you got the doctrines down, you know, God's this way and God's that way, and he does this and he does that. And those aren't, that's not bad. But God, because he loves us, wants to bring us into that second-person theology where you are this, and we speak to him, and we talk to him because he is with us in the valley. You are the one who does this. It is you. It's not just he. It's you. He is declaring things to God in the second half of this psalm. I think it was Keller that said, you don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You know it up here, but it's the valley that brings it down here, and you know, I can get through anything because he is with me. And that's the, the, the beauty of, of the gospel is that he is with us. And I'm, I'm jumping out of order here for the poor slide person. I just so appreciate the AV group here. They just do such a great job, but hopefully I won't get them too lost. But the good news about Jesus is that the shepherd has finally come. Think about it a little bit. I was thinking about it this week. You look in the book of Matthew and how many references there are to this idea that the shepherd is with us. When he appears to Mary, what does he say? The promise there, the fulfillment of the promise in Matthew chapter 1, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then Bethlehem, land of Judah, chapter 2, out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Jesus begins his public ministry and he quotes out of Isaiah chapter 9, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. The good news of the gospel is that God has chosen to come down in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, take on human flesh, taste everything you or I will ever taste in his body in spades, and then without sin, because he always did the Father's will, take all of our sin upon himself and give up his life on the cross for us. Pay the price. He came and dwelt with us, and then he died for us. And then in Matthew, the last phrase in the book of Matthew is, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Matthew starts with God with us, and when he gets done, Jesus himself is saying, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That is the good news of the gospel, that he is with us. He is with you. It's not just an issue of morality or doing the right thing. It's a living relationship with him. What does Jesus say when he prays to the Father? What is eternal life? He's praying to the Father. This is, the etern this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I don't know what your concept of heaven is, but I think as we begin to walk through these valleys, we realize that eternal life in its ultimate form is the fact that we get to be with him and know him intimately. Whatever else happens up there is going to be secondary to the fact that we will be with him. Just a little parenthesis here. With all this talk of the fact of how we can, the Lord is with us in the valley, why would that still not comfort us? And I, I, let me just give you just a little thought here about that. We look at creation. We know he's strong enough. We, we look at creation. We know he's smart enough. We look at the cross and know he loves us. 
He came and suffered for us. We know he cares about us. He cares about every detail of our lives. So it's not a question of whether he can handle it. It's not a question of whether he cares whether we get through it. But there's still one issue, and I think we need to face that in our own lives, and that is, why are we still afraid? And I think sometimes we're still afraid because we have a plan, and God has a plan. And we're afraid God's going to get his plan done, and he's not going to get our plan done. So we can be right on our theology, and we know he's all-powerful, and we know he loves us, and we know he cares about us, and we know he's going to give us the best today. But we're afraid it's not going to be what we want it to be. We're afraid he's going to take that person from us that we really, really love. We're afraid we're not going to get that job that we really, really want, or that house, or we're afraid that we're going to get some sickness that's going to be uncomfortable or way worse and painful. And a lot of times our fears are not that we don't believe that God is who he says he is. It's just that we haven't really dealt with that. Well, it started in the garden. That was the first thing, right? Satan says, you can decide for yourself. You don't have to do what God says. And we will wrestle with that until the day he calls us home. But we need to acknowledge that. That, why am I afraid? Sometimes it's because I don't see God as he is. But sometimes it's just because I have my agenda and I haven't quite let go of it yet. And it's in that valley, God in his wisdom and mercy will take us into that valley sometimes just to show us that we still have our agenda. And we, 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 if we're going to know joy in our Christian life, if we're going to know peace, if we're going to know freedom from anxiety, we've got to come to him and say, okay, yes, I have a plan, but I'm submitting it to you. And I'd really like you to fulfill my plan. But the fact that the shepherd is with the sheep in the valley, don't think of that as the sheep saying, I got my bodyguard with me. It's not like he's there to protect you. That's not, his, that's not his primary role. He will protect you, but he's there to get you through because he has an agenda, and we don't get to set that agenda. But David was all in, and that's why he could say, I will fear no evil. Whatever you want, Lord, whatever you bring to me, I'm going to embrace it. Yes, he had to go back, and when I'm afraid, I trust in you. He, he still had those feelings, but at his core, he was all in. He was a man after God's own heart. And yes, he did fall, and yes, he did fail. But it, in the core of his being, he had no fear because he knew who was with him, and he was all in on his agenda. And that's my prayer for myself and for each one of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ is that you embrace his agenda, and you're not going to know what it is completely. We know what he's aiming for in terms of the image of Christ in us, but the path, we don't know what it's going to be. And we need to face the worst-case scenario, what's the worst that could happen, and embrace that because we know he is going to do what is best. But he gets specific here, and then I'll close. He says, I, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. But he doesn't stop there. It's not just, I got my pal with me, and we just talk and hang out, and it's just great walking through the valley because we're together. David gets specific. Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And I think there's a picture there. The rod was a little shorter, heavier thing. That's what they used, to the shepherds used to defend against the, 
the enemies and then the staff was longer and thinner and it kept the sheep in line and I think there's another cartoon thing there that helped me. <laughs> Those are the two basic things that the rod and the staff do, okay? And that's what David knew the Lord would do in his life and that's what the Lord will do in your life and in mine. He protects us and guides us. He protects us from the bad things that can happen, and the ultimate is death, and he's dealt with that. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, Since the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. He dealt with death. There's nothing else that comes close. He's now seated at the right hand of God with all authority and principalities and powers under him. No one can touch us without the Father's permission. That is the rod that the Lord Jesus exercises through the death of himself. That's why in John 10, we've read it many times, but in John 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one's able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. That is the protection that we have. Nothing can touch you and take you out of the Father's hand. And then there's the staff. We're going to go, even in the valley of the shadow of death, we can be at peace, because even if we err, his staff will bring us back. He'll bring us back over and over again. David said, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It's good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. And sometimes you'll feel that staff around your neck pulling you back to where you need to be. But we don't have to worry that we're going to stray too far. It doesn't mean we're careless. But we, if the older you get, the more you realize you're not as smart as you thought you were when you were younger. And you know that you, the Lord has to keep you on the path. You will fear no evil because you know he will keep you on the path because he wants your eternal good more than you want your eternal good, and he will do it. So David, he considered the worst-case scenario, and he said, because the Lord's with me, because he's leading me through this valley, nothing's going to shake my resolve to trust him. I'll face the worst that can happen to me and trust him because I know he knows what's best. Aaron, you can come up. You're in the team. And as they do, I'd just like to pray. And if you haven't put your faith in Christ, I just encourage you to put your faith in the Good Shepherd. He knows everything. He's all-powerful. He showed his love for you in coming and dying for you, living a perfect life and giving that life up so that you could live. Come and know the peace and the joy you can have even in the valley of the shadow of death because he will be with you. And for those of us who are already trusting in Christ, let's deal with that issue of our own agenda so that we can really get down to living our lives day in and day out with perfect peace and comfort and be able to say, I will fear no evil. There's nothing that life will throw at me this side of eternity that I'm afraid of. Father, Increase our faith. That's what we need. We need to see you. We need to 
to see who we are. Forgive us, Lord, for that agenda we always have that keeps popping back up. We want to be like David, a man after your, your own heart who, who bought, all, bought your agenda all in with you and trusted you. We thank you for the adventure that even the valley of the shadow of death is because we get to learn more about ourselves and you. We don't like it and we're not saying it's good, but we know it does good for us and sometimes that path of righteousness leads through that. Lord, we want to honor you by being people who rest in you and show you the confidence that's worthy of you. In Jesus' name, amen.